Hello, Barry. Welcome back. We are here again across the pond, except we have got a bit of a new thing going on, a new look and feel. You know how much I love uh, getting the production value of everything I do uh, to be the best that it can be. And f for the first time ever, we've, we're able to be on the same screen uh, just side by side, which I think is pretty cool. It's been such a joy watching the childlike wonder in Chad's face when he's building yeah. all of these scenes and making this look amazing. Uh, it looks really cool, Chad. And even all the technical difficulties we've had tonight, <laughs> we're getting into across the pond and very excited to be here. Definitely. I mean, Barry had to uh, wasn't able to do his run around the hockey pitch, pitch the hockey field pitch thing again, <laughs> um, which I know is is you know something that you look forward to every week. So, so that sucks. Lots of lightning, and I guess all, anyone who's tuning in from wherever they are in the world who doesn't know of the Johannesburg thunderstorms, um, I mean, it's one of the great things about Joburg, isn't it? It really is. And they kind of come like clockwork. Every single afternoon, that late afternoon thunder shower, it really is, is amazing to see. And I think we have, I think we're one of the lightning capitals of the world. I think we have a lot, a lot of lightning compared to lots of other people. And so, unfortunately, it does kind of keep us all the hockey pitch every now and then, which is frustrating. Yep. But at the same time, it's nice to kind of cool down the place. And it really feels like Joburg when you have one of those really, really intense 40 minute showers uh, that kind of wake you up from whatever the day has been beforehand. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you have that to wake you up, Barry, but you've also got our show, which is great because I know it's fairly late where you are. So let's get into <laughs> it. The week that was. So this week we are starting off by a little bit of a, a recap and an update on a story we chatted about last week, Chad. And that was all the drama down in Australia. Australia are clearly going through a lot when it comes to social media, when it comes to the internet. And one of the things we chatted about was this proposed link tax where Australian newspapers were trying to get Facebook and Google and all these guys to pay them something, pay them some sort of royalty when they linked to a piece of news on their site or whatever. Yeah. And uh, we talked about how it's a little bit silly because of the way the internet works works you, it's difficult to enforce that and then facebook came out and said cool we can listen to take all the news off of, <laughs> off of facebook for, for for australia and that caused a whole bunch of chaos and so there's been a lot of updates in that space and i i, I want to read a little bit from from an, an article that i read which i think really puts it in a very very good perspective and i think it's quite hilariously written it says it goes like this australia's link tax reached a crisis point Google the deals with local newspapers, but crucially, those are deals for the news showcase and not yet for the links and search results that the government proposed. And that means that Australia now won't be able to apply its law to Google. And then Facebook, of course, called their bluff and turned off news in Australia, triggering a big global row. And then the Australian government folded on that, changing the terms of the law to allow Facebook to opt out with a side deal as well. So now Google and Facebook are both paying something but we don't know what, and we don't know why the reason is, we don't know what the amount is. And so instead of instead of the law appearing as it was like previously proposed, it now has a complete piece of, what do you say, what do you say? a piece of crass opportunism to try and cause trouble for their competitors. It's an absolute mess, Chad. I, I must be honest, I didn't even follow that, Barry. I'm completely lost. <laughs> uh, it, it sounds like you say, it sounds like a mess, uh, which which is what we're seeing. Uh, I mean, something that started out as, uh, yeah, the government just trying to get get a hold of, of what was happening that side. And, 
yeah, it just seems to have turned 180 degrees in the in the biggest way possible. So so what what does it mean now? Where are we now? Is Facebook back to being the way that it was, or is it still a much leaner version of its previous self? So I think it has kind of gone back to a bit of a compromise between the two. As far as I understand, Facebook assigned some sort of side deal that allows them to opt right. out of some of the link tax and pay some sort of I don't know, maybe it's an overall royalty. I'm not exactly sure because the details haven't actually come out. All we know is that Australia, obviously, they, they can't just remove all the news from Facebook. It's a huge, huge, big problem for the democracy and for informa information sharing in general. And so they kind of had to come to a compromise. And then the Google stuff, it sounds like, you know, when you go and search on Google, Chad, and sometimes if you type a question into the search bar, they'll sometimes show you the answer of the question without you even having to click into the article. Yeah. They'll show yeah. you little snippets with kind of the answer. And the problem with the newspapers we're having is that they're not getting any ad revenue from that. So Google yeah. can kind of show that snippet, give the reader the information that they want without them having to click into that link and therefore be able to see an ad. And so they wanted like a little bit for that. And so as far as I understand, Google has signed a deal now to give some sort of revenue to those, those okay. snippets and to the pieces in, in Google News itself so that the newspapers can actually get a little bit of value for that. So that kind of makes sense to me more so than an overall link tax. And so Australia look a little bit silly because kind of what they proposed was a bit ridiculous. And but I think they've got further. They got they were, they, they've got closer <laughs> to a a, a um, compromise that makes sense. And so I think we are in a better space than we were a week ago, Chad. But there's still so much gray area here. We still don't know all the details. Okay, well, thanks for clearing that up because now I at least understand uh, what that all means. And that makes complete sense where you, where you get a little snippet of the article that'll show you, you know, whether it's the first little bit or whatever the case is. And this is, I guess, where, you know, the advertisers themselves have to have to kind of try and figure out whether these clickbaity titles and basically the image, I suppose, that they put as well, which which is supposed to give you the gist of the story, but it's got to, you know, it's got to entice you to click on that and read through the full article. But a lot of the time, uh, we do get, we do get the gist of it from the title, from the photo that they attach, and from, like you say, the first paragraph or two. Uh, so I do, I do kind of get that. I mean, do you think that news kind of agencies around the world are rethinking clickbait titles from now on? I don't know, Chad. There's still so much of the internet that relies on it. And I, I still think that there's such an economic incentive there. It's going to be hard to turn that around. Um, yeah. I think that clickbait is here to stay. And and to be honest, it's been around forever. Like even before the internet, the way the newspaper headlines were written was was exactly the same, trying to just yeah, yeah. win attention. And so I don't think that's going to go away. I think they might think differently about distribution and differently about kind of how to monetize their stuff. So I think we're going to see a lot more um, journalists and newspapers going much more to a subscription service and trying to get away from the ad-based model. And, and I think it's a good thing for society if we can head that way. But it's hard because we've, we've gotten so used to getting information for free. We've gotten so used to seeing all that stuff for free. We chatted about it in a previous episode about paywalls and how they frustrate yep. us. Um, but unfortunately, that's that's the only other option at this stage. Um, and so anyone people can think about. There is one other option, which is talking about like micropayments, where I can maybe contribute like a few cents for an article and really do it on the pay-as-you-go basis rather than paying News24, uh, I don't know, whatever, yeah, 70 around okay. a month to, to see all of their yeah. nonsense, right? And so I don't know what's going to happen when it comes to clickbait and that sort of thing. But something has to change because 
at the moment, the, the control that the Googles and the Facebooks and them have over the information economy is, is crazy. And we've chatted about it a lot in the past. And I think that all these publications are starting to fight back and starting to try and say, listen, we need to sort this out. We need to kind of spread this wealth a little bit because otherwise you're going to have these big tech companies controlling absolutely everything when it comes to the democratic process. Yeah, absolutely. And then we, we haven't even spoken about Apple as well, uh, which has their news app that is very streamlined. I mean, I think if any kind of you know news agency gets linked into that app, it basically strips away all of their existing ads that's on their standalone page. And Apple then placed their own adverts. I mean, I was scrolling the other day. I think I sent you a, a, a snip of it. And it was, this, it was a random ad, Barry. It was an ad for life insurance, okay? And for some reason, there was a picture of a good-looking young lady, uh, like quite big, quite big, it, it, you know, half of my screen, uh, and, you know, life insurance. I, I figured this is really, really <laughs> random. Until I dialed into the kind of information settings and it says, you are seeing this because you are a male <laughs> and you are in this age band. And obviously that, that, that's Apple showing kind of why they've developed this news app in the first place. Yeah, it's that it's that same old thing of being able, being targeted based on demographics and interests and things you like and whatnot, and they're going to feed you those stereotypes, Chad. As as a red blooded heterosexual male, they're going to show you that that yeah. that beautiful girl and try and use her to kind of sell whatever they're selling. And so I think this has kind of been the 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 way that business has been done over the last 10, 15 years. The way these companies have really built. Their, their power is through this targeting and through this kind of advertising-based model. But there are serious drawbacks that we're starting to see. And it almost feels like the tech is becoming a teenager. It's kind of got past its initial phases. It's yeah. starting to grow up. There's growing pains. There's problems. There's issues we're trying to deal with. Because we kind of forget, Chad, that this stuff is so new. <laughs> if you think about how new social media is in the greater scheme of things, if you think about how new the internet is in the greater scheme of things, psychologically and economically, we are still struggling to like reshape our world to really understand how to use this technology in the best possible way. And so I, for one, am hopeful that we see some innovation and some kind of ethical changes coming out of this yeah. that hopefully serves users a bit better rather than just the bottom line of a Facebook or a Google or an Apple. Yeah, let's hope for that. Uh, maybe now that we've gone past that uh, initial stage that you start thinking about the, the end user a bit more, that would be good. Barry, some of the things that happened this past week, uh, I know you must be really quite pleased on your side. I'm, I'm, I'm feeling really happy about it, uh, but of course, jealous from, from this <laughs> side of the pond. Uh, I mean, for those of you who, who don't know, I'm in London and Barry is in Johannesburg. And uh, yeah, I'm still in a very sort of strict, strong lockdown, uh, which is, we spoke about the easing, it's, it's coming to an end uh, over the next couple of months. But Barry, you guys are now in level one, which is pretty much, for all intents and purposes, life back to normal. <laughs> yeah, Chad, we, we went from level three to level one in one foul swoop. We skipped a whole level. <laughs> I didn't think that was possible, but in our family meeting, good old Cyril told us that uh, things are, are much better than they were. And our case numbers are now in the 
in the three digits. So we're having less than a thousand new cases every sure. single day, which is really good news. Wow. Um, hospitalizations are down. Um, in general, we seem to have things relatively under control. And we do have vaccines in the country for the first time. So thousands and thousands of healthcare workers are getting vaccinated every day, which is really good news to, to hear. And hopefully we've got kind of our hands around this. There are still predictions about a potential third wave when it comes into the winter period. And so we yeah. kind of are preparing for that as well. But hopefully there's enough kind of stability and enough support to make sure that we can keep keep things as as they are so like you say level one in my life chat it feels a little bit strange because not that much changes in in fairness like the 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 curfew changes now so the curfew is now midnight to 4 a.m instead of 11 p.m to 4 a.m so it's a little bit better on the curfew side you still have to wear masks um indoor surroundings you can now have up to 100 people i believe or or 50% of the capacity. So that is one change that's doubled from the 50. Um, Things like funerals and stuff, they can now be held more in in bigger sizes and whatnot. But at the end of the day, I think we still have to be a little bit bit, um, cognizant of what's going on. You still have to wear masks everywhere. You still have to make sure you're doing your 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 sanitizing and your hand washing and all that good stuff. But at least you can see friends, you can see family, you can get out and about, you can play some sports things feel like they're slowly moving towards normal. And the most exciting thing is that this the scary new South African variant that everyone's been talking yep. about the last couple of weeks just doesn't have the same sort of fear factor that it, that it did. And I think that that's a really good sign for us. And I'm just hoping we get more vaccines as quickly as possible because if we can get from level one down to level zero, whatever that means, I'll be very excited to Well, that is very exciting, uh, the South African variant thing, because it certainly still has the level of fear factor on this side. Uh, I mean, there was a bit of a scare last weekend about the Brazilian variant uh, and this kind of manhunt really for for this mystery person who tested positive, but somehow didn't fill in their details on the applicable form. And so you literally saw this manhunt for this one person who tested positive for the Brazilian case, because that is, I guess, the the biggest uh, kind of worry at the moment for the UK is, wow, we've got these all these vaccines busy rolling out, uh, but not all of them are completely effective with all different strains. So uh, that's good to hear on your side, at least, that the fear factor is gone. Um, I mean, just that indoor venues of up to 100 people, I mean, that means that weddings can happen again. You'll know that I am a very interested party in this area because <laughs> I was supposed to get married in September last year and I had to postpone it to September this year. The question is about that third wave that, you, that you're that mentioning. Is that going to be a thing? Uh, and then, of course, whether... You know, the UK relaxes its travel rules to South Africa with the variant uh, because at the moment there's the quarantine. Uh, you know, you've got a quarantine in a hotel and obviously uh, South Africa is on the red list, etc., etc. So whether you're able to have your guests actually come over to South Africa is a big concern, too. So, I mean, if you were to if you were to just ca- cast a quick a quick bet on it, Barry, <laughs> do you think by September a wedding, my wedding will be able to be a go? <clears throat> Ah, oh, Chad, it's such a difficult one because I, I, I am, I'm naturally optimistic, and I do think yeah. by September we'll be in a good position. I think that September gives us enough time to get through whatever up we're going to see in the in the winter months, and hopefully get through that period, and hopefully we have enough vaccines going at that point 
to be in a, at least a similar situation to where we are now. So maybe it won't be completely gone. Maybe there'll still be some restrictions. But for a 100-person wedding, I think as long as you've got quite an airy venue and you've got kind of space for people to mull, mull about, I think you'll be okay. But don't quote me on that, Chad. It's a complete guess from my side. <laughs> Barry, that's uh, it's in writing. It's uh, it's completely. <laughs> I, I will like if it doesn't happen, it's all it's all your fault. <laughs> you can't invoice me for any of the, any of the costs because of that prediction. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh, yeah. I I hope you're right. I really do hope you're right. Even if it is, I mean, hundred people is a really nice number. You can still have a great celebration. Um, it's it's just a question, like you say, of of all of the rest of it. Whether you're gonna have to still wear masks. I mean, ideally, with the, at a wedding, you're not going to really want guests to be wearing masks and stuff. Um, so, so let's hope it can happen. But, you know, if it has to be postponed another year, it is what it is. Uh, we, we just have to deal with these things as they come. So while we're talking about vaccines, I, want, I thought to, to just quickly touch uh, on where the UK is at the moment with vaccines. We're not going to spend too long on this. Uh, but the current total for the first dose is nearing 21 million, which is staggering. I mean, we've been talking about how this number is just growing over time. Um, and then that second dose number is also growing nicely to, to nearly a million. So, yeah, that's really positive progress uh, in terms of the vaccine front, certainly on the UK side. Uh, but bigger than that, the, the sort of bigger news in terms of the UK of this past week that we wanted to chat about uh, was the budget. And, uh, I mean, we spoke about the South African budget a couple of weeks back. Uh, and, you know, not not too crazy changes coming out of that one. Well, this one, Barry, is, is a lot different uh, because, you know, all of these <laughs> coronavirus measures have cost the government a heck of a lot of money. Um, and they've been borrowing just crazy amounts of money. I mean, the, the COVID support package, uh, essentially the borrowings that had to take place this year were £355 billion. That's a, that's a huge number. That's a massive, massive number. And obviously that, that money needs to be paid back. I mean, the, the great thing is that at this point in time, the interest rates are, are pretty low, uh, certainly on the side of the world. So, you know, in terms of in terms of servicing that debt at the moment, it's not a massive issue. But of course, you don't want that debt to sit around. Uh, and when interest rates go up, it becomes a, a really big thing to contend with. So basically, the Chancellor Rishi Sunak has unveiled his plan, um, basically, you know, try to, to not increase taxes uh, in terms of personal tax and VAT and, and a couple of other things, uh, which is part of the Conservative Party's manifesto. So they've kind of stayed true to that, which is good. Um, but I mean, the two kind of headlines, I think that there's a lot of nitty gritty, a lot of specifics. Um, I was in a Deloitte webcast today talking through the fine print and th there's quite a few changes. Um, but I mean, just just in terms of the, the, the high level stuff, I think let's definitely touch on the the corporate person the, the corporate tax is going to be increased it's currently at 19% pretty low i know south africa is at 28 and was decreasing down to 27 so it's currently at 19% but how's this for an increase barry it's going up to 25% from 19% sure. um, and that's only going to happen in 2023 but of course it's uh, you know giving businesses the heads up right now that that increase is coming. Um, and I mean, of course, this debt needs to be paid off in some way. There's there's a lot of other ways that they're going to be doing that too. Uh, but I, you know, the, the corporate taxes is, is going to be a, that's going to be a big uh, pull 
for for tax in the in the next couple of years uh, i mean there is a couple of like sliding scales and stuff so this only applies to profits over 250,000 pounds and there's this kind of uh you know there's a bit of a, a gap in between that for for businesses lower than 50,000 pounds they won't have any increases um but then what they've also done for businesses which I think is very interesting because, of course, they're trying to get the economy to bounce back, um, is the idea of a super deduction for capital investments. So, you know, Barry, in our accounting days, and for those of you who, who are not accountants, uh, let's just quickly give a little bit of uh, context here. When you when you buy a machine, you, you don't get to have that as a tax deduction the first year you buy it. You get it to have it over a couple of years. Now, of course, it always depends on what type of machine it is. There's all very specific things. Whereas what they're going to be doing now for a certain period of time, and of course, there's, you know, little bits and pieces of the detail to go through here too. But the super deduction is going to let you claim 130% of the investment in the first year, which is mad. Uh, so I, I definitely think, you know, that's going to have a, a real real boost to the economy in the next, in the next year um, as that super deduction is rolled out. Uh, and I, I definitely think that's going to be positive for, certainly from a balance back point of view. Um, and then the final thing to, to talk about, I mean, there's, there's loads to talk about here. So I think I'll, I'll mention a couple of other things too. Um, but the one thing I wanted to touch on for individuals and people who'd be listening to this podcast is the, in terms of the personal tax, there's been no increase necessarily. Uh, but in terms of the brackets, they've decided that from next year, they're going to keep those brackets locked for a couple of years. Which means, I mean, this is the opposite of what we spoke about last week, Barry, in terms of South Africa increasing the brackets by a little bit above inflation. So you actually get a bit of a benefit. In this case, you are going to be paying more tax, um, certainly over the next couple of years, as those thresholds stay the same. So I think I think I heard someone say about a million more taxpayers are not going to have to pay tax because uh, obviously as wages increase with inflation they're now going to become subject to tax. Um, so, I mean, that is quite a big sort of announcement in that way. But uh, obviously the way that he's, uh, you know, spoken about it, nothing is, is hitting like tomorrow and there's no necessary, there's no sort of increases necessarily in terms of, um, you know, personal tax. But by freezing those brackets, uh, you're able to actually collect quite a lot of cash into the system. I can't help but think, Chad, that there was some very excited accountants sitting around an Excel spreadsheet <laughs> running all sorts of scenarios sure. as to what happens if we change this bracket to this? What happens if we pull that tax rate down? How do we squeeze as much as we can out of the system so that we can pay back all of this debt? And I think it's, yeah. it's something that every country is dealing with. This COVID pandemic has forced everyone to kind of pull into their into their pockets and to, to borrow money where possible. And I think everyone now has got to try and get back to where they were pre-pandemic. And that's going to take it, – it can't just come out of nowhere, right? It just doesn't just happen. You have to have some sort of stimulus, some sort of incentive, some sort of kind of tax collection that gets you to where that point is. And so I'm guessing they went through thousands of scenarios, and this was the one that worked, Chad. Like you said, lots of very interesting tweaks. Nothing super direct. Very interesting tweaks to kind of get around these things and hopefully pr provide something that's politically palatable, but still gets them a result that they want. 
Um, I find the super deductions fascinating. I think it's a great superhero name for an accounting <laughs> movie, first of all. Um, but even even going forward, it's going to encourage so much investment. If, if I was a, a creator of PPE right now, I'd be in a very good position because there'd be lots of people knocking down my door to try and invest in that infrastructure. So hopefully that turns into long-term growth. We'll have to wait and see. Um, but a very interesting budget speech, much much more eventful than ours, Chad, that's for sure. Yeah, and just talking about the superhero name, uh, I mean, just watching Rishi Sunak deliver his speech, I felt like I was at an Apple event, 100%. And then there's this, and there's this, and <laughs> don't worry about that, we're doing this too. Um, I, I kind of got that feeling uh, from it, which is very interesting. And uh, and the, the opposition of the, the Labour Party, um, Keir Starmer, his comeback, um, you know, certainly kind of attacked the, the social media kind of gravitas of Rishi Sunak and, uh, and saying he's surprised that he didn't actually see a line in the budget specifically for Rishi Sunak's uh, in Instagram spend uh, because he, he, you know, he, 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 is, uh, he does definitely um, you know, market, market himself very well. Um, so, I mean, some of the other changes, we'll just quickly, quickly uh, scroll through some of this stuff. There's, there's been some increases in the national living wage, which is always good news, um, you know, for no matter no matter what you do there's that there's that bare minimum of what you can earn and that's that's been increased uh, by a, ni a nice amount uh, they've put a, quite a bit of cash back into uh, looking at domestic abuse it's a, a topic we've spoken about barry and somehow in lockdown situations domestic abuse seems to get worse and worse and worse so to target some cash on that uh, always a very good thing uh, also putting some cash into veterans mental health i mean these numbers are really small in the bigger scheme of things uh, but it's always always good to see um, business restart grants as well. So obviously, as you say, when businesses are now trying to get back to normal, um, they're, they're, they're still keeping keeping that cash coming. So, you know, normal during the pandemic, there's been grants that have been going to businesses to, to keep the, the rent payments up and all that kind of stuff on top, of course, uh, of the furlough scheme. Furlough scheme has been extended to September, which is also good to know. Uh, but those business restart grants are, are definitely going to keep going as well um business rates holiday that's going to continue until june also good news uh the vat rat the vat rate there's been a, a, a drop in the vat rate uh, so that that's been at five percent uh basically for the hospitality and, and tourism sectors um, and that's going to be extended for another six months uh, obviously to to try and get some activity going in that space and then for anyone listening to us who lives in the uk and has been thinking of buying a property uh, the stamp duty holiday, which I'm sure you've heard about. I mean, I spoke to you last week, Barry, about the petitions and I tuned into a petition uh, where, where people <laughs> wanted this holiday to be extended. That's going to be extended. Um, so that's going to be extended uh, I, basically until June. Um, and then there's going to be a, a kind of ratchet down a little bit up until September. So there's going to be some form of a stamp duty holiday all the way up until September. Um, obviously not at the kind of levels at the moment. But I think that's really good news for anyone who's uh, looking to, to buy a place. And I kind of think, Barry, I mean, I, I'd like to get your thoughts on this as well. I kind of think given the, the pandemic and, and people not having to commute to work and all that kind of stuff and work the future of workplaces are going to look very different afterwards i think uh, i i don't think people are going to work full five-day work weeks from the office um, i mean i personally think the prices of property outside of london uh, are going to rise as, as people move further out what do you think 
you you would think so, right? You think there'd be some sort of correction between kind of the the more in town areas and the more outside suburban areas. We've certainly seen that with San Francisco in the states, uh, where rents were sky high in San Francisco itself. But then outside of San Francisco, as people started to do those remote work jobs from outside, those rents started to drop a little bit. And so I think you will see some of that correction. I don't know how much, Chad, just because there's so much space and so many, so many opportunities outside those big cities. And also, I'm a little bit skeptical about whether these big cities are going to die in the way that some – not die, but going to reduce in importance in the way that some people think they are, right? I don't think that every single company is going to go fully remote and yeah, kind of yeah. never come yeah. back. I still think there's going to be some value in living close to kind of the city centers and close to where everything is happening. Sure. And so, yeah, I think there will be a correction. But I don't think it's going to be as significant as some people think. I think we underestimate that the value of collaborating and being in the same space. And so for all the remote work, for all the flexibility, and, and I certainly enjoy it as, as, as a person, I think that these, these city centers like London, like New York, like San Francisco are still going to be those hubs that, that attract people and therefore the rents are going to be crazy high. Um, whether those rents then spread out, I don't know, but I think that the correction is going to be less than what people are making it out to be. That's just my gut feel. Yeah, it's always that anecdotal, uh, you know, kind of, I'm just assuming, you know, because I'm thinking about this, that everyone else is, and, and I think you're completely right, uh, the, the sort of prime property places, and I guess the convenience of, of having that city center that is, is built up for this, built by design, uh, for large numbers of people, um, I, I think that'll I think that'll still stay. I completely agree with you. Okay, let's move on then uh, to something else, Barry. Uh, we, we're going to talk about, basically, let's switch back to South Africa for a tiny little bit. Um, and talk to your kind of personal affiliation uh, with the new <laughs> Protea captain. I'm so excited, Chad. I've had a smile from ear to ear from the moment that I heard about it. Uh, today, it was announced that the new Protea's limited overs captain, so for ODIs and for T20s, is Temba Bavuma. And uh, for those of you who don't know, Temba is someone that I went to school with and I actually played cricket with for a few games uh, when we overlapped at school. And so I feel so invested in his career. I've watched him right from that, that, that very, very beginning. Uh, I posted a photo on my Instagram uh, this morning or this afternoon of me in the slip cordon with him and Temba so at cool. Gali, me as the keeper. It's like my only claim to fame is that I actually stood in the same slip cordon as a Proteus captain. And so I'm super excited for him. I really do think he's going to be a great captain for us. He's got a very difficult job ahead of him like our team yeah. has really been struggling we, we're, in, we're in a position where we don't have the kind of depth of experience we used to have we're kind of in the transition phase and we've got three different world cups coming up in the next couple of years chad so he's got a lot of work ahead of him and it's going to be a very very tough uh thing for him to do but what's really exciting and i think for all of south africa is that he's the very first black african captain and that is a huge milestone for the country and for the sports. There's been so much drama around transformation in cricket over the last uh, last few yeah. decades. And I think it's really special to see a, a black African captain that's going to take the Proteas and potentially lift that World Cup trophy, Chad. I, I'm, I'm forever an optimist. And if he was to lift that trophy above his head, it would make me the happiest man in the world. Oh, amazing! I know I know how much you love your cricket, so that's really cool and really cool that you've uh, you know you've you've played with him before. That's that's amazing. Uh, I mean, Barry is you know you play with like SA sides in, in terms of hockey, and you played with SA captains in <laughs> cricket. Um, you know, it's 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 quite crazy, really. 
what else has happened in South Africa, Barry? Uh, I had been talking to you for a couple of years, really, about Love Island uh, and, and, you know, quite a big thing in the UK, Love Island. Um, and, you know, obviously, I think the last season was actually filmed in South Africa. So there was a, there was a UK cast in South Africa, in Cape Town, uh, this mystery house that, you know, basically a whole bunch of people go together and it's it's all a bit... It's all a bit crazy, uh, but you guys now have your own season. We do indeed, Chad. Love Island South Africa has come onto the scene with too much fanfare, <laughs> but also to lots of drama, Chad. And I, I really want to get your views on this because, as you know, I'm not a big Love Island fan. I've never watched an episode, whereas yeah. Chad is an absolute fanatic when it comes to Love Island. And so I'd love to hear your thoughts, Chad. There's been two main reasons that this, this show has had so much drama. The first one is that, of course, when it comes to South Africa, there's a lot of focus on diversity, right? There's a lot yeah. of kind of conversations about the, the racial history of the country and the fact that 80 to 90% of the country is black and we've got this small white minority that used to be like the oppressors back in the day, right? And so there's all this racial drama. And I don't understand what Mnet were doing, but they picked almost all white cast oh, really? it is actually ridiculous that they thought that that they could get away with that um oh, wow. it's it was so taste tasteless it just was absolutely silly so out of the 10 starting contestants i think they only had two black contestants or ca i don't know what you call them what do you call them chad candidates yeah. contestants, yeah. contestants i guess yeah yeah so it, it really wasn't a diverse group of people and it really wasn't indicative of the way that the population has kind of held it. And and I think what so much of the drama was that the UK Love Island and all the and a few other Love Islands around the world have had more diversity than, than the South African one. And that really shouldn't be the case, right? So that was the first thing. And Mnet have come out and they've said something about it. I believe there's still more characters and more people to come into the show over time. Okay. So maybe they can correct this. I don't know. But that was the, 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 the first reason that there was so much drama. The second reason there was so much drama, Chad, was the production quality is so bad. The sound quality, for some reason, the sound engineering, the camera angles, the editorial choices, it looked like an amateur production. And, and yeah. for, 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 for a brand like Love Island to, to have that sort of lack of production quality makes no sense to me. I would imagine the budget is quite big for a show like this because it's got such a huge brand around the world. And I would assume it'd be lots and lots of really good stuff. And there's so many talented producers and directors and sound engineers here in the country. We're not yeah. lacking for talent in that, in that respect. So I don't know why the production quality is so bad. And I haven't watched enough of it by myself. I've seen a few clips because I've been following the, the drama on social media. But I haven't I haven't like really picked up on why that is the case and why the production quality is so poor. Um, and so on the back of these two dramas, Chad, after the very first episode, the major sponsor, Lotto Star, pulled out of the whole show. And that is not a good start to a show when after one episode, your major sponsor pulled out. So mm. when it comes to Love Island, South Africa, Chad, there is more drama than it's worth. <laughs> Gosh, that's, that, that, that really does sound like uh, quite a lot. Um, I mean, yeah, just in, just in terms of the, uh, the selection, the contest uh, selection, I mean, this is something that, you know, has attracted a lot of scrutiny for all ad like adver advertisements, all sorts of stuff for, for a heck of a long period of time. 
So for me, even if it is just their the starting out group, I mean, Barry, as you don't watch Love Island, uh, maybe you don't get the format, uh, but, you know, every person gets voted <laughs> nope. off every every couple of days and you get some new people get tossed into the mix just to make things interesting, even though others have really fallen in love with each other. And, you know, th- that's basically how it works. So <laughs> it is very possible that they have a, a whole long list of, uh, you know, a cast that still needs to be thrown into the mix that maybe is a bit more diverse. But to have that first group, uh, you know, not adequately adequately reflecting the, the population of the country is very interesting. Um, and uh, and I'm not surprised they've taken a lot of flack for it. In terms of the production quality, this is something that always happens with, with, with South African productions. I mean, we've seen uh, sort of... What's it, what, was it, what was it called? Uh, deal or no deal, as an example. Who wants to be a millionaire? All of these productions, even idols, I mean, American Idol, all of these productions that start out overseas and then kind of set themselves up in South Africa, they always, they they just don't feel as good. They just don't feel as authentic. I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's a, if it's a South African complex, maybe uh, other people watching from, from another side of the world would would have a different view. I don't know if it's us just feeling uh, inferior when we watch it on our own screens. Um, but but that is an interesting phenomenon, and I, I don't quite understand it, especially because, uh, you know, as I said, the Love Island UK cast set up a, produ- up a production in South Africa where a lot of the staff there were actual, you know, South African cameramen and uh, sound producers and all that kind of stuff. So why, when it's an actual South African-run production, it's not as good? I don't know. Yeah, Chad, I, I really don't. I really don't know. I don't think it's because we lack the skills. I don't think it's yeah. that at all. Uh, I don't know if they just didn't have the right crew, or they had a, had a, had a, like technical difficulties with the sound or any of that stuff. As I say, I haven't actually watched the episode, so it's hard to speak about exactly what the problems were. But from what I understand, this, this, the sound engineering and the the general kind of sound production was just way be, way below par. Um, and unfortunately for a reality TV show, that's kind of that's kind of important, right? You, you can't get away with, with without that being top notch, um, especially when so much of the the storyline and the drama is relating to the conversations between between the, the people. Yeah. Um, and I know in Love Island they wear these these microphones around their yeah. their, their their necks, even if they're in bikinis and whatnot. Yeah. And so it's like it's the microphones are close enough to their mouth. It's not like they they're struggling in that department. <laughs> so I don't quite know what went wrong. Uh, I'm sure that there's a lot of drama within Mnet right now. Now this oh, is yeah. this is probably a huge show for them, and uh, they had to put in a, an apology, and they're trying to fix things and trying to figure stuff out. But I don't know how much they can fix at this point in time. When you're this late in the game, when you started to promote, when you started to 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 screen episodes, like what do you do at this point, Chad? Do you yeah. do you can the whole thing and, and cancel it? Do you kind of limp on and try and improve things as you go along? Uh, there's going to be lots of money lost here, I think. Definitely. And this is for a company that has lost subscribers over the years to things like Netflix and, uh, you know, Showmax and all sorts of other things. Uh, I mean, Showmax, from what I remember, was an offering that they were actually putting out themselves. So kind of, kind of, uh, you know, doing the wrong thing, really, uh, kind of getting rid of paying <laughs> subscribers in terms of the DSTV service, which is really expensive, uh, basically a service where you, you pretty much have to get accept all of the channels on offer um and and showmax obviously was a lot cheaper so i agree with you i think i think uh, they, they'll definitely um be having some interesting conversations on the back of this one i wanted to just uh, give a quick shout out uh, to someone who is tuned in all the way in the desert uh in 
the US, and I don't know why my text color is wrong there, but uh, Rocky Mountain High uh, is tuned in and, and engaging with us, which is really cool. Uh, but yeah, I agree with you, Barry. I, I think there's going to be some very, very interesting discussions on the back of that. Shall we move on then to our next segment? Let's do it, Chad. Stuff I found interesting. Stuff I found interesting. Today we're talking about someone we talk about pretty often, Barry, and that is Billie Eilish. Um, and, and of course we do, because she's taken the world by storm at such a young age. It's so hard to even believe what she's achieved in these last couple of years. It's, it's just staggering. Um, and so I've been really waiting for this documentary to come out. Um, I think it's called a world, The World's a Little Blurry. Uh, I, I'm, I'm stand to be corrected, but it's been released on Apple TV Plus, um, and so I was so excited to go out and, and have a watch of it. And at first, you know, at face, at, at the first thing I would have to say, Barry, is it's very different to any other documentary I've watched in the past. It's very raw. It, it, it's very different to you and I talking about the Shawn Mendes documentary, which is really quite cinematic and, uh, you know, orchestrated. And you've got the kind of interview scenes and, uh, you know, the, the normal narrative that you, that you have with the documentary. This is very raw. There's a lot of iPhone footage. And, uh, you know, it, it's a lot more about capturing these moments as they were happening, as they were busy recording this album. Um, all of that, that, all of that, the whole experience, uh, authentic, raw, just pieced together. And it's quite long as well. It's more than two hours long. Uh, and I was wondering how I would feel about that, actually, what, what watching through. I was wondering whether <laughs> I would be bored towards the end of it. Um, and, and I wasn't, obviously, because it's about a topic that I'm really interested in, which is music and, uh, and someone, you know, starts getting just completely rocketing to, to fame, uh, from, from nowhere. Um, and, you know, it's a wild, this was a wild journey that we're talking about here. I know we, we, we keep mentioning it, but really, really was from, from someone who's small and just lived in this, you know, family home that they grew up their whole life in uh, a very, no frills bedroom. We're not talking about something that has like a crazy amount of soundproofing or anything like that. From recording in that scenario to winning four Grammys, uh, you know, on the same night, it's it's just ridiculous. It's just ridiculous. So I, I thought, you know, I highly recommend anyone watches this uh, documentary if you've got the Apple TV Plus subscription. Um, she, strange enough, has had issues with her legs. I don't know if you've heard about this, Barry, at all, but it's something uh, that, that was highlighted in the documentary. And it's uh, something that's very similar to all of these documentaries we watched, like with the Shawn Mendes one, when his voice was not uh, quite working uh, at the level that it should have been on a particular day. Um, she's had real issues with her legs, with her shins, uh, sort of shin splints in, in performing and, uh, you know, has literally had to... Uh, you know, wear braces and you, you'll see her with, with spider tape on her, on her shins, every performance she does, all of that kind of stuff. It just, it just shows you that performing like this and giving your heart out every night uh, on the stage to thousands of people in front of you, it, it does take a toll on its bo on your body naturally. 
sometimes we have to remind ourselves of that, that it's almost as like a professional sportsman. If, if you're this type of artist who's going to be touring around the world, who's flying from country to country every single night, doing performances night after night after night, you're a professional sportsman, not just your vocal folds, yeah. but all the physical energy that you give on stage, right? You have to really put on a show to everyone who's paid a lot of money to come and see you. And so I've heard about the, the problems with their feet. I've never really looked into it that much, but I have I've seen a headline or two. And so I know that's something she does deal with. Yeah. Um, and I think it's, it's, I like the fact that the rock documentary is raw. Obviously I haven't seen mm. it, but after yeah. listening to you speak about it, I really have to go and see it. But that is Billie Eilish, right? Her whole thing is being raw and vulnerable. That is why yeah. her music has worked. And the, the fact that she recorded some of the biggest songs of that year in her little bedroom, like you say, without major soundproofing, without lots and lots, without a huge band, without any of that stuff, that she created that album in her bedroom with Phineas, her brother, is absolutely special. And it kind of puts us all a little bit to shame, Chad, because often we'll say to ourselves, I'm sure I could make really good music, but I don't have the right gear. I don't have the right microphone. Yeah. I don't have the right studio. I don't have any of that stuff. Um, and, and she comes in and, and kind of, turns the world around and transforms the music industry just by making something that's truly her. When you, when you hear yeah. Billie Eilish's voice or you hear kind of the start of one of her songs, you know instantly it's Billie Eilish. You're not confused one bit. And that's because she's got this really unique way of making music, this very whispery, soft tone mm -hmm. that's very different to kind of the belted out, kind of belt at the top of your lungs like a lot of pop artists. And so I think it's, it's, it's a really good case study in – how music can transform, how music needs to be raw and vulnerable. And it makes total sense the documentary will be raw in because it's Billy, right? Yeah, 100%. Uh, it is indeed. Um, and yeah, I mean, I definitely, like I said, I'd recommend you go and check it out if you are interested in her stuff. Um, like I said, it is it is pretty long, but uh, it's, it's certainly worth the watch. Uh, just a crazy sort of journey that she's had. The other thing I didn't realize, and I've kind of seen pieces of this uh, in the past, is how much the sort of extent to which she is a fan of Justin Bieber. It is actually oh, yeah. unreal. Um, <laughs> she shows these clips of her as a, as a little girl talking about how in love she was about Justin Bieber, kind of almost getting a little bit depressed about the fact that no boy she ever meets in the future will ever live up to him. Um, kind of all of this kind of stuff, which which I, I definitely didn't know. So I, I thought that was quite interesting. And then when, when it kind of goes 360 and she's at Coachella and she meets him and he, he sort of comes in front of her and just seeing that seeing that happen, just her, her reach that kind of level, that pinnacle, um, is, is quite endearing to watch. That's one of my favorite viral clips. I, I know exactly the video you're talking about, and it's so cool to watch. Mm. Like a huge music star be completely starstruck by one of her role models, right? And it kind of reminds you that everyone has that role model. No matter how good you are and whatever you do, everyone's got that that vision, that person you stuck up on the wall as a poster when you were a kid. And, and she got to meet her hero and kind of really become – the next version of Justin Bieber, right? She really took over the mantelpiece. It really has felt like Justin Bieber's kind of passed the torch onto Billy as kind of the number one pop sensation in the world. And so that must be such an amazing moment, Chad. I can't imagine kind of idolizing someone like that uh, for years and years and years and then getting to meet them, getting to kind of converse and hug them. Yeah. And it, it must be such a crazy, crazy experience. Definitely, definitely. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's just, 
it just is one of those where you you achieve your your goals and you reach that level uh, and it's so good to see i mean you always talk about the optimism and just believing in the human race Barry, because i know there's a lot of bad stuff out there and there's a lot of people who you know have bad intentions and that kind of stuff but you you always say to me that you, you you're the optimist you always kind of see the good in people and seeing that that kind of the end of the journey come around there's something great about it it's a reminder of what humanity is all about, Chad, and, and, and the fact that a human connection like that can mean so much. It is so much more important than a fancy car or a big house or anything yeah. materialistic, right? That that ability to connect with a human on a real deep level, to really appreciate what they do, to appreciate their talent or to appreciate their hard work or some piece of art they create in the world. And it's the reason that I love art in general and music and film and anything artistic is because it transcends the real the real world in a sense. Like when you really are engrossed in a film or in a, a piece of music or in, a, in, a, in an artwork or a painting, you kind of forget about the rest of the world and you're pulled into this alternate reality where perhaps you can be understood for the first time or you can kind of resonate with some emotional piece that's coming out in that art. And when you see that happening on a mass scale, it's it's super powerful and it's it's the reason that humanity is is kind of the way it is is that we can get through all the struggle and all the chaos and all the bad things and all the drama because we have art and we have collaboration and we have human connection to pull us through and so i never think we should underestimate that and it it is the key to a good life i think it, it's not about the fancy car and the mansion and all that stuff it's it's having humans that you can connect with and talk to on a real deep level and then to have art to kind of pull you through those difficult times uh, put those together chad and you've got one hell of a combination yeah yeah completely agree with that you found something else interesting this week as well uh, something to do with facebook marketplace talk us through it yeah i don't know if you ever have you ever used it chad have you ever sold or bought anything on facebook marketplace i have actually yeah um so i i sold the laptop uh earlier was it earlier last year or kind of late last year? Some At some point last year, I sold the laptop on Facebook Marketplace. Uh, and I mean, obviously, the, the question here is uh, location to location. So is the uptake different in South Africa as it would be uh, in the UK? And I know a lot of friends this side use it pretty regularly, even when they're just getting rid of stuff in their flat uh, because they're moving to a new place or whatever the case is. There's obviously a massive community of people. Um, have you used it? Chad, it's been a very interesting kind of couple of weeks because I, I've been working with my parents. My parents have a big house and they've got so much junk that they've collected over the years, right? And we are trying to slowly get rid of some of this stuff and kind of clean out their house a bit so that they can downscale eventually when they get a bit older. And so we've been starting to use Facebook Marketplace to, to sell those bits and pieces. And I've been so blown away by the arbitrary and bizarre things we've been able to sell so easily on Facebook Marketplace. <laughs> it has been absolutely amazing to see. My mother will take something out of a cupboard that's been there for years. I look at it, I'm like, no one's going to want this. There's no chance anyone's going to want this. But we put it up anyway. We say, cool, we pick a price, we put it up. And literally within a day or two, Chad, it is sold. It is on the way to the next owner. We get the cash in our hand. It has been such a fascinating experience to see how the scale of Facebook combined yeah. with people's needs for such random things and you can connect them via the internet and really get some value out of your secondhand goods it's 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 blown my mind to be honest Chad. yeah i had the i basically had the exact same realization when i was leaving south africa and obviously getting rid of pretty much everything i basically moved over with 
two suitcases. Um, and my fiance had a lot of clothes, um, kind of, you know, as ladies like their fashion. Uh, not all ladies. I, I'm not going to put it, put all girls into a box, uh, but a lot of ladies do, and and my lady certainly does. Um, and I mean, even even in the case of clothes, the the secondhand market for clothes is huge. We did sort of jumble sales uh, where you know you have people just walking through past the street, um, and we're able to raise quite a bit of cash um, in in selling old clothes. Um, and obviously, it's the it's the designer stuff that that fetches um, you know fetches a decent amount of money, especially in South Africa, uh, where where name brands are, are quite important. Uh, but I but I completely agree with you. And uh, you know, in terms of wh- when I get uh, you know when I get abuse at the way that I spend some of my my money, I mean, you know, I like technology, <laughs> Barry. Um, the thing to remember is it is an asset, a depreciating asset, but an asset and one that you know does does fetch money. Uh, if ever you need to sell it. And that's what I've really changed my mind about, Chad, is that if I had realized the value in places like Facebook Marketplace, I would think very differently about my purchases because I, I kind of make, you kind of make the assumption that, okay, cool, I'm going to buy this thing and when it's done, I'm just going to throw it out or I'm going to kind of recycle it or whatever the story is. But what this, is, what this little experiment has proven is that there is always a market for this stuff, whether you yeah. think there is or not. And for some really strange things, so obviously there's things you can sell. So we sell we sold a bar fridge, which I think was we knew we were going to sell that. We sold some other things that are more kind of really useful and people really could could use. But then things like safety boots, like old puzzles, like yeah. all sorts of random <laughs> stuff that we sold. It's absolutely been amazing. Um, and I think we, we, we've chatted a lot about minimalism on this channel. We chatted a lot about trying to kind of get rid of your material possessions. Yep. And this is such a great way to do it. So I'm currently working with my parents to say, cool, let's every single week, let's put three or four things online and let's just see if we can start to slowly kind of get rid of the stuff we haven't looked at in a long, long time. I mean, the things we're selling, Chad, no one's touched them in years, decades yeah. sometimes, right? They've been sitting in cupboards collecting dust, and now we can kind of get a little bit of cash for those, get rid of them and kind of get, get that space back yeah. and use that money for something more productive. And so I just wanted to bring it up as a, as a really cool realization. I did not understand the power <laughs> of Facebook Marketplace until now. And so if you are sitting right now at home and you've got stuff that is taking up space and taking up mental bandwidth and could really be of value to somebody else, put it online and, and see what happens. Because I think you'll be surprised at what sells and at what it sells for. Yeah, it's that mental bandwidth, which uh, for me, it makes such a difference. Just having stuff everywhere, not being able to you know, have that, have that mental freedom, that, that feeling of freedom. Um, and, and that's what a lot of stuff does do to you is it, it kind of clogs everything up. Um, and I'm, I'm fascinated that this topic has become, uh, you know, so sort of mainstream and, and everyone's talking about it. I'm, you follow Peter McKinnon uh, on YouTube. I'm sure you're watching oh, Eagly yeah. as he gets rid of all of his fancy camera gear. Um, and I, I mean, I, I think it's good. That, that? As a, as a gearhead, when you watch a video like that, where he decides, cool, I'm going to stick to five, I think he's sticking to five cameras or five lenses, I think, and he's going to get rid of everything else. Like, do you feel like, do you, did you die a little bit inside, Chad? How did you feel about that? <laughs> no, not at all. I, I think it's great. I, I mean, he's got a heck of a lot of gear probably too much gear. Um, and, and so I think it makes sense that he's kind of going through it all and trimming through the pieces that he needs to keep and the pieces he doesn't. Um, of course, he's a Canon ambassador as well. So, uh, you know, I, I guess he would have got a good deal on some of that stuff, if not even been given <laughs> given some of it. Um, so, it, you know, it makes sense that he, that he has all of that. But it certainly is a good way uh, for me to, to think about 
how you use different pieces of technology, especially when you are talking about something uh, as kind of ubiquitous as a camera. Like a camera is a camera, a camera, right? Uh, no, not at all. Each of them has <laughs> different quirks and different uh, bits and pieces. So to, to think, to, to look at his thought process and how he's trimming out which two or three or like you say, five lenses he's keeping, or I think three camera buddies. Um, it's really interesting to to look at his his thought process. And I guess even when you do get to his kind of level, uh, the idea that gear is not at all, gear is not everything, uh, sure it helps, but too much gear just complicates things and uh, it kind of gets in the way. There's something about those creative constraints as to when you need to get a shot, not having to make 10,000 decisions, right? You don't want to be in a position where, okay, cool, I've got 15 different lenses, 10 different cameras, and now I must make the perfect combination because the perfectionist in you is just going to get into your head and you're not going to get that shot because you're going to be faffing around and trying to figure out what is the right gear. And so there really is something to be said about trimming those choices down and making as few choices as possible and focusing more on the storytelling and the things that really matter. Yeah. And I think that applies across our whole life, not just cameras, but this whole minim minimalism thing is getting rid of the stuff in your life that doesn't add value, that doesn't actually get used on a day-to-day -day basis. And just focusing on the stuff that you really like. There's a great anecdote that I like to think about when it comes to clothes. All of us have these huge closets full of clothes, Chad. I'm sure you're in the same position as me. You have lots and lots of clothes, no. but I wear my favorite <laughs> stuff. Oh, don't you? <laughs> I've got a black t-shirt, I've got a white t-shirt, I've got a <laughs> gray t-shirt. That's about Not it. a great example, but most of us, Chad, have tons and tons of stuff in our closets. But we end up wearing yeah. the same things. We end up wearing this, my, 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 the t-shirts that I wear. Yeah. I've got a few favorites and all I wear of those. Yeah. And so the question is, why not just buy more of those? Why not, why not get rid of everything else and just wear the stuff that you really like? Especially in, 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 in industries where it's not super expensive. Like cameras is a little bit different because you can't really afford to have five of the same camera. It doesn't yeah. even make sense. But in, in, in things where there's lots of kind of interchangeables, it makes a lot of sense to focus on the, on the few things that you really enjoy and that really bring you value. And so I think that th there's an opportunity right now um, I'm, I'm discovering for the first time on Facebook Marketplace is that to make a little bit of money and kind of get some of your investment back on some of the stuff that you may be holding on to because you've got this sunk cost fallacy. You're like, yeah. oh, I spent money on this thing. I, I don't really want to throw it away. I don't really want to give it away because it got a little bit of value. Now you can unlock that value or at least a piece of that value and then put that money to something that really matters to you. And so I'd encourage you to, to look around your house, look around the room you're listening in right now and try and figure out are there a few things here that I haven't touched in years or months? Are there a few things that aren't bringing me value and maybe they can bring value to somebody else? Because the opportunities right now are amazing because of the internet and you could find yourself getting rid of that thing tomorrow if you tried. Yeah, absolutely. I, I love it. I think it's great for a little a little purge. Um, I know, you know, spring is coming up uh, here in the UK and, and we always talk about spring cleaning. Uh, I mean, it doesn't have to only be done in springtime. So uh, I love that you're bringing it up now, Barry, no matter where you are in the world listening to us now, whether you're listening live or recorded, uh, definitely have a look around and uh, and you can certainly get some joy uh, out of uh, lick, kind of, you know, liquid... What am I trying to say? Uh, you <laughs> liquidating. Know, liquidating some of your, your physical, <laughs> tangible goods. Let's then move on, Barry, to our last segment. What's on your mind? Alrighty, it's 
been quite a while since we've been on what's on your mind and i guess that's one of the cool things of live streaming we've only been doing it for a couple of weeks now um but you know obviously as we're able to do this we're getting questions as we're going uh you know we are a recorded episode so there are a lot of people who listen to us recorded and it isn't primarily a live show um which is why we don't kind of acknowledge all of the live comments in the mean you know live uh but but we do kind of save this part of the podcast just to to chat about that so the question that we have barry i'm keen to get your thoughts on i've just got to quickly change this uh, this text color i don't know why uh, it's it's the wrong color the contrast isn't working chad there we go there we go i've changed it um, and that's a question from rocky mountain high asking us if we like country music barry do you like country music Chad, I love country music. And and one of the things on my bucket list is I have to go to Nashville at some point. And I want to go Amazing. and bar hop between bar to bar to bar and go listen to all the country music. It's one of those things where I don't listen to it often enough because I sometimes forget about it. I'm not really in the scene really because there's very little of it happening here in South Africa. You really have to tune into the American scene in order to get, yeah. get your hands on it. But what I love about country music, and I know it's a little bit cliche, but it's the truth. The storytelling in those songs is absolutely amazing. Country music really strips things down to its bare basics. It focuses on the storytelling. Everything is raw and vulnerable in country music, and it's so relatable, which I really enjoy. So I'm a huge fan. I wish I knew more about it. I wish I could kind of get deeper into the scene, but I'm yeah. going to have to get on a plane and come to Nashville at some point. <laughs> How about you, Chad? Uh, to be honest, at this point in time, uh, I'm I'm a bit of a country music noob. Um, I, I haven't, I mean, I've obviously, obviously listened to the, the hits, you know, the few tracks that make their way onto the, the main billboard, because uh, I know in the US there's a separate billboard chart just for country music. Um, obviously, it's mm. huge in the US. Um, so, you know, I, I do I do like the the hits that I've uh, I've learned, but, you know, I haven't gone all the way, I haven't done the rabbit hole dive into country music. In the way that I think these days, I'm, I'm starting to kind of gravitate naturally towards jazz a little bit i'm listening to a lot mm. of those like chill out playlists where there's a lot of kind of jazz going on in the background and i'm i'm really in that vibe at the moment um but you never know country might catch my attention at some point in time <laughs> i mean i like all types of music to be honest i think to you know to be a human and not appreciate what goes into every single genre of music i think is doing yourself a disservice i think a lot of people get tied down to what it is that they listen to and they are very rigid about that you know they don't stray at all and i'm not saying force yourself to listen to classic fm if that's not your thing um <laughs> but but certainly be able to appreciate what it is that that goes into making music and and all of the nuances in each particular genre because you know a lot of that is all down to culture um and you know understanding the music is un understanding the culture of where it comes from which i think is really important it's one of the problems that have come up with this algorithmic-based music listening, right? When we go into our Spotify and Apple Music, the way it's been built is that it keeps feeding us stuff that we already like. Yep. And so it's very rare that we get a chance to really get exposed to something outside of our comfort zone. Um, and so you really have to kind of go out of your comfort zone manually and kind of go and find those little pockets of music mm. that is, is really special. And that's the only way you're going to ever expand your music vocabulary or expand the kind of the industries and the not the industries the genres you like listening to um so one recommendation i, I do have for you is there's a couple of bloggers and I, i'm not going to remember his name his name is ted <laughs> g ted goya i think his name okay. is he is a blogger that i follow and he sends out a monthly newsletter with a bunch of really cool recommendations for artists you would have never heard of chad 
And so what I try and do is I, I try and subscribe to a few really talented music curators who are very, very wide in taste and have a lot of, lot of, and, and that's all they do is they create music. And I try and look at their recommendations every now and then to try and force myself cool. out of my bubble. Of course, I still love coming back to Ed Sheeran and Sean Mendes and all the, all the, <laughs> all those guys, but it is nice to kind of get out of that bubble every now and then. So I recommend trying to find some curators, even if it's a friend of yours, that's very into music, go and look at their Spotify playlist, try and see if you can find stuff that you wouldn't normally come across via the algorithms. Because if you stick to your algorithm, Chad, we're never going to get out of that bubble and we're never going to experience the huge amount of um, variety and, and, and magic that there is around the world when it comes to music. Yeah, I completely agree. You, you're so right. Uh, I mean, I've been talking about this kind of need of to go away from the algorithm to go away from just listening to uh, these curated playlists uh, that someone else sort of decides uh, is is what you should listen to and this idea of immersing yourself in another world or you know looking at one specific uh, you know curator kind of thing is is such a cool idea um so you know in terms of on the the country on the country subject uh, rocky mountain high has suggested Billy Strings Dust in a Baggie to us. Uh, Ooh, which, I better know, write that down. I better we'll write have that to, down. We'll have to check it out. So thanks so much for <laughs> the suggestion um, and for, for hanging out with us. Uh, we, we just over an hour, which is pretty much our intended uh, sort of length for each episode. So I think we're about to call it a day. Barry, did you enjoy tuning in again uh, to Across the Pond? Of course, Chad. It's one of the highlights of my week. I really enjoy these podcasts. I think that they're getting better and better every single time. And I'm loving the fact that we are keeping to our, our true conversational nature and keeping things <laughs> yeah. as wide and open as possible. I know that we talked about a lot of different topics in this episode, but hopefully if you're watching this or listening to this, you got some sort of value out of it. And I hope you will see you back here again for another episode next week, Chad. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, before you head off, do make sure you've checked us out on all of our social media platforms. Uh, let's just quickly pull them up. So we oh, you're obviously watching us on YouTube at the moment. We're Across the Pond podcast. We're on Twitter, too, at Across underscore podcast. On Instagram, we're at Across the Pondcast. And last <laughs> but not least, we're on Facebook, too, at Across the Pond podcast. That's all for today. We'll see you next week. Pond, pond across the